I'm going to turn to John 17. We're going to finish out uh, today the series from the Gospel of John on God being our Father. Well, why don't we read here? And as we read through it, you can just think about all the different things we've talked about, really. It's been a, quite a long time. Looking, I was looking back. When did we start this? January 3rd is when we started God Being Our Father, the series through John. It's been quite a, quite a while. But mm, almost all of the things we talked about really could have just gone through John 17 and talked about. And so we're just going to kind of use this as a review of the things we've talked about. So as we read it, just think, maybe notice some of those things. Starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Well, this is where we started, and this is where we're going to finish this series is this really rich chapter in John 17. If you remember the very first question I asked before you guys even knew what the series was about, I said, what if I ask you what was the mission of Jesus? What was one of the missions of Jesus that he came to earth to accomplish? What would you say? And we talked about maybe think of a verse where Jesus says, I came to do this or this is the mission. And we talked about that. And nobody said uh, to show the world the Father. But we see, and I hope you can see that real clearly now through the whole Gospel of John, it's very clear that that was one of the things that Jesus came to do was to show the world the Father, to really revolutionize and change it in show what all those hints in the Old Testament about God being our Father meant in their fullness. And that's what he says here in John 17, that he came, and he, he hasn't died yet, but he said he accomplished the work that, he, that the Father had given him to do, and that was to manifest his name. And the name was obviously Father, the name Father. And so now we know something that the Old Testament saints didn't know. And I said it like this before, this is the most helpful way, at least in my mind, to really realize what that means. I mean, imagine one day, you know, you meet Moses, maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, and, I mean, what question would you want to ask Moses? I might want to ask, you know, what was it like, you know, just for the Red Sea to part, or many many of the things that he experienced. I'd love to hear, hear about it. And, but you know what? He might say, whoa, 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 before we get to any of that, I, have, I need to ask you a question. What was it like just to call God Father? And the reality was he couldn't. He didn't know that. God used him to reveal that God is the I Am, but they didn't know God was Father. They couldn't call him that. And really think what that means. That privilege that you have when you sit down to dinner or get up and bow your knees uh, before your day starts just to say Father, to be able to call God Father. It's an immense privilege that you have that the greatest Old Testament saints didn't have. What a wonderful thing that Jesus came to reveal God to us and the word that he wanted to show us that we never knew before, not, at least not fully, was that God is our Father as individuals, not just the father of Israel, not just the father of David and Solomon, but your father, my father. It's amazing. It really is. And what a wonderful name it is, right? 
Father. I think this quote that I've shared before, again, kind of just a review here, but this is a quote from Spurgeon that gives a real feel, I think, for the great privilege of calling God Father. This is Spurgeon. He says, If I come before a judge, I have no right to expect that he shall hear me at any particular season in anything I have to say. If I came merely to crave for some gift or benefit to myself, if the law were on my side, then I could demand an audience. But when I come as a lawbreaker and only come to ask for mercy or favors I deserve not, I have no right to expect to be heard. But a child, even though he is erring, always expects his father to hear what he has to say. Lord, if I call you king, you will say, you are a rebellious subject, be gone. If I call you judge, you will say, be still, or out of your mouth will I condemn you. If I call you creator, you will say to me, it repents me that I made man upon the earth. If I call you my preserver, you will say to me, I have preserved you, but you have rebelled against me. But if I call you father, all my sinfulness does not invalidate my claim. If you be my father, then you love me. And if I be your child, then you will regard me. It's a really amazing thing that God wants us to know him as father. And that means a lot of things but certainly it means that he loves us and we can come to him in our sin. We can run to him when we did all the things he said not to do and ask for forgiveness. We can be certain that he cares for us. And Jesus came to show us that. John 3.16, For God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, the reality is God, the Father, loves you not just a little bit, but a lot. More than we could ever imagine. You know, God could have sent and sacrificed all the angels that there are, and it would be less than what he actually did. He sacrificed his only son. And we see that. We see that here coming up over and over, the Father's love for us. So that's one thing, that Jesus came to manifest this new name, the name of Father. And he did it. And he showed it. And he proclaimed it clearly. And now we call God something different. We call him Father. No prayers in the Old Testament start Father. All Jesus' prayers, except for one, start Father. And remember the one that wasn't? It was on the cross where he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even that, the one time he didn't call Father, was so that we could call him Father. And so the reality is is that Jesus paid a great price for us to know God, to be with God, and to be able to call God Father, share his very own sonship with us. That this, reading this prayer, the prayer of a son to a father, it's not... It's not something we can't enter into. In fact, we can enter into it because we, through Christ's blood now, can pray in the same way. Pray to the Father as a Son. And so, that's all really review. We've said all that before. And there's more. I mean, there's so much here. Think about all the times we talked about faith and believing. How much that comes up in the Gospel of John. And that comes up again here in this prayer. That's what he says of his of his disciples. Those who he has come to save those who have believed 
on him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Remember, just going to keep saying this, Probably you probably already know it. The word believe, the word faith are the same word. One is a verb, means that you do something, which is believe. One is a noun, faith, it's what you have. So connected in the Greek that it's one letter different, just the ending is different. So it would be more like in English the word hammer and hammer. Hammer is what you have, that's faith. And hammer is what you do, that's believe. Unfortunately, we don't do that in English, so it's not easy to connect those. So I'm going to use faith and believe interchangeably. But that's what it means to become a child of God, is to believe. Believe what? Well, really it is that we're believing that the Father sent Jesus. That he wasn't a rogue, that he wasn't just some guy saying, here I am, you know, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. He was actually the very Son of God, God himself, come down that we can trust him. If he wasn't, if he wasn't sent by the Father, then there's no need to trust him. Uh, we don't, we shouldn't trust him. But we can see from his life that he's worthy of trust. We watch what he does, watch what he did, watch his love, his compassion for others, watch his wisdom, watch and hear his teaching and say, no man ever spoke like this man. And we know that Jesus is who he said he was and that he was sent from the Father. So what do we do? We trust him. We believe him. We have faith in him. And that is what changes everything. That's what changes your whole life. It's amazing. You know, we've, again, just repeating myself as we close the series, but think about the difference between a kid in your classroom who believes hard work's never going to pay off, nobody cares about him, no one's going to look out for him, he needs to look out for himself, number one, that his parents don't love him. Uh, the difference between that kid uh, that believes all that and that his life is, isn't worth anything, that his life doesn't have meaning or purpose, and the kid who believes hard work does matter, that his parents are there and care for him, that he he what he does really affects the world, and he's responsible for it, that he has value, that he has a purpose. And the just the trajectory of those two kids is diametrically opposed. How much more? Well, what's the difference there? Believe what they believe, right? And how much more Jesus, what we believe about Jesus, all those things and more. We believe that we have a Heavenly Father that cares for us. We have someone that is ruling the world in a way that's just and right and is going to put all things right in the end. That someone who loves us sent His only Son to die for us. Christ came to die for us. We have an older brother who loves us. That all these things, that you have a purpose, that you have value, and that it's all wrapped up in Jesus' life and death for you. That belief changes your trajectory of your whole life. It pulls you into the kingdom, right? It pulls you into becoming a child of God simply by believing what Jesus said. It's a really amazing thing what we're saying. The diff- what we're saying here is radical, right? What we're saying is, imagine this. We're all, one day we're all going to be here we're in, in this place, which is we die and we stand before God as judge. And we'll give an account of everything done in the body, whether good or bad. Think about that. And think about what we're saying. The message of Christianity is, what we're saying is, I'm coming to God. And you know what I know? I'm totally guilty. I deserve punishment. But I'm coming and I'm expecting something. I'm expecting a gift. Instead of punishment, I'm expecting a gift that I don't deserve. That's amazing. 
God, here I am. You know, I'm here um, ready to give an account. I'm totally guilty. You know I'm guilty. We both know I'm guilty. You know it better than me. Well, why are your arms out like that? Well, I'm actually expecting a gift. I'm expecting you to call me son. Give me a crown. Give me a robe. Wash, dipped in the blood of Jesus. And give me eternal life. I know I don't deserve it, but you told me. You promised that you give me a gift. And I, I'm here and I believe it. And so that's why I'm showing up to my own sentencing, hoping and knowing that I'm not going to receive punishment. I'm going to receive life and a gift and more than I could have ever earned if I had lived a perfect life because I'm trusting in Jesus. That's an amazing deal, right? That's wonderful. And it's unreal. But we believe it because we trust Jesus. And that's what he promised. And we're convinced by who he is. And that's faith. Faith in the grace of God. The gift, free gift that Jesus offered us. And the other thing, you know, in terms of this faith that we're talking about, that Jesus is saying is the difference between his followers and the world. It's not just Sunday faith. It's not like, here we come, we're going to sit here and and listen, and we're going to nod like, yep, I believe that. I believe that. Uh Uh-huh. I'm here because I believe that. It's not Sunday-only faith. It's faith that when you're sick, you can trust God. It's faith that when your child is born blind, you can trust God. It's faith, it's faith that when you're bound up in sin in your daily life, as I've tried to beat this over and over and over in my own strength, and I cannot do it. I keep, I keep being pulled back in, but, but I can believe and I know that God wants to free me. That's faith. Faith in the everyday, not just sitting right here. Faith when you lose your car keys, that God's in control. Right? Faith when you get stuck in traffic, that it's okay, that God knows all things, that I don't have to yell or scream. It's faith that when you do yell and scream, that God wants to forgive you. You don't have to clean yourself up. That you can go right to Him as a father and say, God, I really messed up. I don't want to be like this. Wash me by your blood. Forgive me and cleanse me and make me different. And you know that He wants to. That's encouraging. So what, what we're saying is this. is It's faith, not just in these ideas kind of religious Sunday ideas that we just come in here and we kind of nod our head. It's faith that goes through our day, every single day. We're not just trusting Jesus with our soul and our sin. We are. We are trusting Jesus with our soul and our sin. We are believing him that he'll wash us and he'll help us in the everyday. He will help us in the everyday. He'll help us with the little things as we walk through our life. As we show up somewhere and there's no bread, there's nothing to eat, Jesus is compassionate, right? And he cares for us. He wants to provide faith in the everyday that we have a father who cares for us. And so that's different. And that's really the difference between the world and the two categories. The world and the children of God. We believe. It's not that we're better. It's not what we've earned it. That's another thing that we can notice from these chapters. I want you to look at a particular verse here with me. Look at verse 6 in John 17. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. That's a very gracious way that God views his disciples. The disciples messed up a lot. The disciples didn't get it a lot. 
the disciples, I mean, G, uh, Peter is just about to deny Jesus three times. And he is saying, this is, what he, this is when he looks at them, he says, they've kept your word. That's amazing. What grace there is there. Gracious God looks down on us. He's pleased with our feeble and frail and imperfect obedience because it's covered in the blood of Jesus. Wouldn't it be discouraging if this high priestly prayer was Jesus saying, you, gave, you chose these people and you gave them to me and they are just bumbling all over the place. <laughs> and, it, you know, I thought it was going to be different than this. I thought maybe they would really get their life cleaned up and after three years they're still struggling with the same things. But I'm going to die for them anyways, even though they're not, they're not the best group. That would be discouraging. <laughs> Right? Well, here we are. Jesus loves them deeply. And when he looks at them, he's pleased with them. He's like, he's pouring his heart out for these people that he loves to the Father who also loves them. And that's clear too in the passage because he's saying, they're, they're yours and they're mine. They're both. You gave them to me. I came to purchase them for you. And the Father and the Son both love us. What an encouraging truth. Through faith, God sees us like Jesus. Well, there's so much more. This is like a fire hydrant type message, which is I'm just sharing way too many points, but we've actually already talked about all this, so it's just kind of review, kind of hitting them all again. But remember, we talked about being called, being cared for, and being kept. That's all here too. Um, look at John 17:6 again. Your, uh, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I'm, Jesus manifested his name to, the, to his people, and it was the Father that gave them to him. Very similar to John 5 where he says, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's like the Father handing over to Jesus, his people. They hear his voice, they're called, and he gives them to the Son. And then the Son gives them back to the Father. Jesus came here to call bumbling, imperfect sinners like you and me. That's an amazing. That's amazing. Is that worth leaving heaven to come down and do that? It was to Jesus. It was to the Father. That's amazing. He called us. And then He cares for us. The Father shows special care for His children. This is 17.9, if you jump just down just a little bit past that. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. He's specifically saying, I've got a special group here that I'm caring for. That I'm In this prayer, I'm caring for them. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for everyone. I'm praying... For the ones you've given me, I'm praying for your children, those who believe. And I have a special care for them. God especially cares for you. That's an encouragement. The Almighty God, the gracious God who loves imperfect sinners, He cares for you. Jesus took the time to kneel down and pray for the disciples here, but He specifically, He says, He's not praying for those only but for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for you and me. 
Jesus called us. The Father called us. But he cares for us. And even now, in heaven, the, the Son is interceding for us. He continues to care for us. Called, cared for, and kept. John seventeen twelve. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Kept and guarded. He kept them in his name. He guarded them so that they wouldn't be lost. Same for you. The father doesn't want any to be lost. If there's a sheep that goes out, he's going to go find it. Even if he leaves behind the 99, he's going to go. He's going to keep you. We talked about William Cooper. Remember? The most extreme case I can, I can think of. Literally just goes crazy. And God kept him. That's amazing. I mean, and you probably have seen this too. I mean, even my grandma had dementia, Alzheimer's, I'm not sure the difference. Somebody probably knows, but basically she slowly lost her mind. But it was very encouraging. Some of the last things she could say were about God and verses. <laughs> it's so encouraging. I've heard that so many times. Even in the midst of losing your mind, you know, she didn't know her own kids. But I remember the last time we had like a more of an actual, like where she could talk, basically. Um, it was Christmas. Why do you love Christmas? It's this day my Savior was born. <laughs> it's like, that's amazing. And I can't remember, I think she quoted a couple of verses. And so, don't know your own kids, do know your Savior. God can keep you. God can keep you through the mold. It seems impossible. I remember praying, like, God, it's so painful. If you have parents or grandparents, it's painful to watch it. It's horrible. It's like, God, why is this? It's like, this is hard. But he can keep you through what seems like an impossible situation. He keeps him, and he keeps, he'll keeps. he keep you. Whatever he's got you going through right now, he is going to guard you and keep you. He's not going to let you go. It's not dependent on your strength, not dependent on your wisdom, not dependent on your knowledge, not dependent on your willpower. It's dependent on the God who called you and cares for you and is keeping you. And that's encouraging. Think about how this prayer would be if it was something else. Oh, Father, please give them the willpower and the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge to get make it to the end. That would be scary, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that? But he doesn't say that. He gives us to God. And he says, I kept them, and I know that you will keep them. What an encouragement. Well, I'm just going to keep moving because there's so much... Uh, we see what we talked about just a few weeks ago, the God-centeredness of Christianity. That's how this chapter starts and ends. Look at verse 3 here. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then... It, it ends, uh, verse 24. 
Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Christianity is centered on God, the person of God. The reason we want to be forgiven is so we can know God. The reason we want our guilt gone is just not just to feel better, like, whew, I don't have that guilt on my back anymore. It's because that guilt separates us from God. We want to know Him. We want to be with Him now, right now, and forever. Every day, we want to be with God. That's the great reward. That's the great goal of Christianity. It's centered on God. Our foundation, what we're trusting in, is God. Where are we going? The goal? God. We want to know Him. We want to be with Him. And that, again, it comes out so clearly in this, in this chapter. We want to know God. We want to be with God. We trust God. He's the ground, goal, and the object of our faith. Okay. Now, we got one last thing. This is the only new thing, really, that I want to just really briefly talk about before we do communion. And it's something that comes up over and over. And I'm going to kind of try and give you a little outline. I'm not going to read all the verses just for the sake of time. We've read them a couple times now. but Okay, this is kind of the outline that I'm going to give you. Jesus kept them. This is past tense. He kept them in, in the name of the Father. And it says, it says not only that He kept them, He manifested the name to Him. But then it goes forward and it says... The Father is going to keep them in His name. That's what Christ prays. And then that, at the end it says that Christ will continue to make known the Father's name. So you've got past tense, present tense. Manifested the name of the Father, kept them in the name of the Father. Then future tense, will continue to manifest the name of the Father, will keep them in the name of the Father. And then over and over and over the result is, is something we haven't talked about. That they may be one. That they may be one. That's said over and over. Uh, most repeated kind of longer sentence here in this chapter is about unity. The result that they may be one. One of the we ask the question: What are the practical implications of believing God is our Father? And the last one that just briefly I want to hit on is unity. Unity. If we are thinking about God as our Father, if we're thinking about what that means in who he is and how we've been grafted in by the, by the blood of Jesus, his character towards us, his care towards us, his love towards us, his nearness towards us, that we're not alone. What is that going to do in our life? Well, one thing it's going to do, and that Jesus prays that it will do, is that we would be unified, all of us, all the real Christians. Leads to unity. Unity in a person the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in God. That's where our unity comes from. We're all looking to the same God. We all have the same Father, same Savior. One Spirit, one baptism, one Lord. We're, that's what unifies us. How does that work? I mean, just think about, just think about what you would have said. What, what's the basis of our unity? Is it that we all read the same books? We all like the same pastors? We all listen to the same sermons? Even just that we're all here in the same building? No. It's in God himself. And so there's unity. And then the, there's a result beyond that. And he says this, 
that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says that twice. That the world may believe that you sent me. So think about, you know, you hear about a missional church, right? We're going to, we want to reach out to the world. And this is what Jesus says here in this, in this chapter. One of the ways, the only way he actually talks about here in this chapter of showing the world who God really is, is the unity that we have. That's pretty amazing. That the world may believe that you sent me. That when the world looks in and they see this group of people who all look to the Father and are all resting in who he is and his love, and that love overflows in, in our lives between one another and out into the world, that they'll see and know, wow, the Father, I think the Father really did send Jesus. And we get a little hint of how this works because Jesus says, says it at the beginning of John 13, or at the beginning of this kind of long section in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So here's the last way that this really practically impacts our life. As we lean into who God is, the name of the Father, what that means, His love for us, there's love, that love is in us. We experience it both, His love for us, but then we uh, reflect that out in our love for one another. Look here at the very end of John 17. This is how he ends in verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why is he going to continue to tell us about the Father? Why is he going to continue to teach us through the Spirit? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Both, both receiving the love that the Father has for us, we want that. But then also love, that love transforming us to where we love others. Receiving the love that God has for us, that overflowing out in love to others, as John 13 says. And that in that way, all people will know that we are his disciples, that he really came from the Father. And so, it's important, right? I mean, what it's really saying here is this, as we kind of wrap up this whole series is, it really impacts everything you do whether you really believe and know that God loves you. If you're still trying to earn it, it's going to be very difficult to have unity. If we're all trying to earn our salvation, that's going to be hard. If we're all trying to receive... Uh, if, you're, if you're in a marriage and you think that you really need to be accepted and to be loved, and the main way that is fulfilled is someone else, a person loving you, that's going to be hard. You need... Jesus and the Father pouring into your heart. You are loved by God. And that will help you to love others. If we don't have that, we're going to be looking somewhere else for that. It's going to make unity very difficult. Because what happens when somebody wrongs me and they're the one supposed to be affirming me? Suddenly I'm mad at them. <laughs> You're the one supposed to be affirming me. But if I get that from God, that's okay. If I know that God loves me, then when, when I'm short with my wife and she, know God, she knows God loves her, it doesn't destroy her. 
she's got what she needs in, in, in God. And she can say, you know what, that hurt, what you said, um, but it doesn't put her in the dust, dust and ashes. She has stability there. And it's the same in not just in marriages, but in church relationships. We've got to know that God loves us, that he really cares for us, that he's really there for us, and that that'll make a difference in the world. It's really amazing here what his Jesus' view of reaching the world is like in this chapter. It's like, abide in Jesus, know who, who God is and how much he loves you. That's going to overflow and the whole world's going to, the world's going to know. That's pretty amazing. Again, we, we might say, what could it be like? You know, make sure that, he, he prayed at the end, make sure that the world knows that they love me by how often and how frequently they go out and do evangelism. That would be a heavy burden, <laughs> wouldn't it? And yet he's saying, as you live your life abiding in Christ, resting in who God is, that's going to impact the whole world. They're going to know. I'm not saying I get it. I'm not saying I see it all the time. But this is the Word of God, right? What it means, it's a really big deal for you to get up in the morning or before you go to bed or whenever you do your time in the Word and communion with God. It's a big deal for you to just start, as George Mueller said, just happy in God. That's the, he said the primary goal of the Christian is to start their day happy in the Lord. And in some ways... It's a little different here, but we could say it this way. It's going to make a difference in this church and in the whole world that you get up and you make sure that you know that you have a Father that cares for you, that loves you, so you can go out and you can love others, and that will be a witness to the world. It seems like a small thing every day to wake up and to set your mind on God, on who He is, but it's not. It's a big deal. It affects this church. It affects your marriage. It affects the world. And so we want to take it seriously. Let's just close with some concluding thoughts. If you're not a Christian, all this that we talked about is offered to you. A Father who loves you. Freedom from your, from your bondage and your sin. Unity with other Christians. The ability to know God, not no longer be separated from God. All this is offered to you if you just trust Him. Look if you're not sure, just look at the light. Just read about Jesus, and you'll know that he's different. You'll know that who he was, who he said he was. If you are a Christian, you have so much to be encouraged. So much to be encouraged about. The fact that you can call God Father is an amazing blessing. The fact that the same way the Father loves Jesus in the book of John, he loves you that same way. And, he's invite, and Jesus is inviting you into it. See my life, see my relationship with the Father, you can have it. Come to me, receive it by faith. The Father called you, he cares for you, and he will keep you. Well, we have many reasons to be encouraged and to affect our daily life. We didn't even really get into prayer, how the encouragement that we have, just like Jesus how he prays here to the Father, we can do that too. And so there's so many things that we can learn and we want to live them out. We ask, just ask the Lord to help us.
We want to be filled with the love of God so that we can love others. It leads to unity and it leads to kingdom advancement. Why don't we pray together? Father, we do just thank you that you care for us. And Jesus, we do thank you that you came down to show us and to die for us. We just pray these things wouldn't just sit in our minds, but they'd be real to us each day. We pray that you would do exactly what you said, continue to manifest your name to us, the name of the Father to us. Show us how much you love us. We want the love that you have to be in us, so we're, we're looking to you for that, looking for help. <coughs> pray you'd help us this week just day by day to be trusting you with big things and little things, with our sins and our souls and um, all the other little things that go on throughout the day, knowing that you care for us. I do pray for unity here in our body. Pray you'd fill us with love and help us. I do pray that the world would see and people would be saved for your glory and for their good. And We just look to you. Uh, we just know that we can't orchestrate it or do it, make it happen by our own efforts but we know you can by your spirit, so we're looking to you. We're so thankful that you gave us the Bible. We're thankful that we can read about these things and that it's so rich. We're never going to reach the end. And so we're looking to you today. We're thankful for your love for us today. Amen.